Speak the charm of me. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will lose This is the Arnamancy Podcast. The world is weirder than we know. Join your host, Reverend Eric, in his diverse array of amazing guests in an exploration of tarot, magic, the occult, and the history of Western esotericism. The Arnamancy Podcast exists thanks to the support of generous listeners like you. Please consider supporting this podcast for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is your host, Reverend Eric. I am here today with Michael Sanborn, who has just released a translation, a new translation of a a Remy Boyer book uh, called From the Doctrine of Reintegration to the Imago Templi. Uh, Michael is a translator and book designer with a particular interest in European initiatory traditions. If you haven't heard my previous interview with him, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that before listening to this, or just dive into this. You know, we'll do a little bit of an intro so you get an idea of what we're discussing, and then we're just going to dive into some weird stuff. Uh, Michael, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Eric. I really appreciate uh, having you over. It's always fun to talk with you. Yeah, we're hanging out in Michael's uh, dining room area, which totally looks like it would be perfect for a seance, um, <laughs> and we're we're hopped up on kava. That's true. And we'll be drinking kava, more kava as the uh, day goes along. Yes. Uh, All right. So uh, the last time I uh, interviewed you, you had finished translating uh, three books from Remy Boyer. If not four. Maybe four. It was definitely a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) I remember you were sort of being like, interview would be great. Here's some material. And I'm like, ooh, that's only like 10,000 pages to read. (laughs) Um, And you were just explaining to me that those are uh, different than the material we're working on now, or that you were working on now in this latest book. Um, And that stuff was more... If I remember correctly, a lot of it was kind of Rosicrucian or sort of 19th century Rosicrucian stuff. Why don't I just lay it out for you? Okay, let's hear it. So this is the fifth book that I'm translating by Remy Boyer. And for branding consistency, let me just mention that this cover is pretty much reproduced from the French edition where the subtitle is in large letters and the title is in tiny letters. And I just decided to go for that. So the actual title of the book is The Rect Scottish Rite, subtitle, From the Doctrine of Reintegration to the Imago Templi. But would you know that from looking at the cover? Not no. necessarily. I don't blame you a bit. It does but, make sense, though. Yes. That, does, that makes a lot more sense. I'm really glad that that's the title. That's the <laughs> <subtitle>. <laughs> we, we keep things, keep people on their toes. Uh, so uh, the uh, first three books that I translated are called The Ways of Awakening Trilogy, mm-hmm. and they are sort of... R- introductions or reintroductions of three different European initiatory traditions through the lens specifically of awakening, uh, to some extent derived from uh, uh, Eastern non-dual schools, but also pointing out 
about how those same uh, ways of awakening are found in Western traditions. For instance, Meister Eckhart uh, Mm -hmm. uh, comes up as someone who lucidly spoke of the path of awakening and the path of non-duality in Western terms. And these specifically uh, uh, were, to begin with, Freemasonry as a way of awakening, a uh, an introduction to Freemasonry from a very particular point of view of personal development and growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, then mask cloak silence. Martinism as a way of awakening, uh, which has been credited sometimes with being the uh, as opposed to uh, Martinist original source material translated into English, the possibly the first book about Martinism as such to appear in English. And thirdly, uh, Beneath the Veil of Elias Artista, the Rose Qua as a Way of Awakening, uh, right. which had to do with Rosicrucianism, but specifically uh, an Iberian, Spanish, and Portuguese uh, derivation of, uh, uh, of Rosicrucianism that has a flavor of its own rather distinct from the uh, German and uh, Bohemian uh, 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 Rosicrucianism that is more often talked about in English and mm-hmm. most places, I think. Oh, yeah. So after that trilogy came out, uh, then uh, over the course of the pandemic and the lockdown, uh, there were a series of uh, letters that came out by the same author, Remy Boyer, uh, offering contemporary reflections on uh, initiatory tradition in general, a particular focus on Martinism, but also uh, Freemasonry, the Rose Croix, uh, Sweden Borgianism, and a whole lot more. And these were all collected in a book called Letter, uh, Letters to Friends of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what I had just published uh, yes. right uh, before our last interview. And uh, so now, uh, with uh, the latest book, The Rectified Scottish Rite, From the Doctrine of Reintegration to the Imago Templi, uh, this is, again, like the first three books, reflecting on a particular initiatory tradition. But I think even more particular than uh, the trilogy dealt with, not just Freemasonry like the first book, but specifically the Rectified Scottish Rite. Mm -hmm. But again, approaching it from the point of view of ways of awakening uh, and the particular take on uh, initiatory tradition of uh, being itself, uh, of the nature of consciousness uh, that infused the other books. But uh, uh, in this one, going into more detail, uh, relying on uh, the audience to be more committed to getting into more of the technical nitty-gritty while still keeping uh, an extremely wide uh, lens to the metaphysics of initiation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that's a really broad, uh, array of initiatory traditions that are all, you know, very specifically European, I guess, calling them broad within Europe. <laughs> um, yes. all right. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It is letters of the friends of the spirit. That's the one I remember that you had just come out with. Um, I am really interested in the rectified Scottish rite. Uh, you know, I'm fairly active in um, the southern jurisdiction of the Scottish rite in uh, in American Masonry. Yeah. And um, it has, you know, its degrees have a tradition mostly of being like rewritten and I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, but rewritten and dumbed down like a lot. 
you know um and it and and i think we probably have more degrees you know it really collected a lot of them and sort of chopped them down so there are you know 32 degrees the first three never ever get used instead we use the um english or the american system for that um but uh it's interesting because the just in hearing you talk about it i think one of the things that's going to be very unfamiliar to um, most mainstream Masons who are part of the Scottish Rite are listening to this is the Southern jurisdictions degrees are kind of really specifically telling us, uh, there's no secret wisdom being passed on here. There's no occult lore. And it's very interesting to hear that said over and over in the same degrees that are sort of like, now we're going to talk about Kabbalah for, you know, a minute and a half, you know, um, but, uh, the way that you're sort of talking about the rectified Scottish Rite is, it sort of sounds like uh, a true initiatory system or a true system of awakening. Um, can you talk a little bit uh, just from like the technical standpoint of the structure of the rectified Scottish Rite? Like, what does it look like? Uh, yes, absolutely. I do want to say that, uh, as with any organization, some manifestations of it are uh, deeper, some are more superficial, from what I mm -hmm. understand. And I should make a disclaimer from the very beginning. I have some uh, direct experience with certain initiatory paths, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I am not myself a member of the Rectified Scottish Rite. So mm -hmm. I am talking from the point of view of someone who has spent, uh, you know, a, a year or so uh, translating this particular book very carefully and have some experience in related aspects of uh, the the uh, current founded by Martinez de Pasquale. Mm -hmm. But I don't want anyone to give the impression, get the impression that I'm speaking as a member of the Rectified Scottish Okay. Rite. Yeah. As far as I know, it's difficult or impossible to find rectified Scottish Rite uh, degrees being conferred in the United States. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But if if you can uh, go outside the United States and you can speak another language besides English, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely out there. Uh, but so like uh, yeah, about Mongolian. the structure. <laughs> right. uh, of, of French, of course, above all, yeah. but also Spanish and uh, Portuguese, uh -huh. Italian, okay. and probably others. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, uh, as far as the structure goes, um, we have uh, the uh, first three degrees, your Blue Lodge degrees, um, that are a little different mm -hmm. uh, uh, than what you find in uh, the uh, mainstream English lodges. Mm -hmm. uh, they have, uh, they have, as all of the degrees have, a specifically Christian orientation. In this rite, um, uh, you are asked to. Uh, uh, declare yourself a Christian, uh, and that can be interpreted different ways depending on the particular environment. As I understand it, um, at the very least, you have to have the view that when you're uh, at the point of unifying with everything and recognizing uh, the true religion in your experience, that Christendom is not in any way contradictory to your understanding of true religion, even if your understanding of true religion isn't exclusive to Christianity. 
Now that's being more postmodern than the original. Yeah, I'm trying to rectify. I'm trying to get those two things to agree in my head. Uh, I think I, that there are some people who are spiritual and not religious, and uh -huh. uh, and yet would say, when it comes to Christianity, I can't quite that can't quite possibly jibe with what I believe as the mm -hmm. the uh, total truth. Uh, and but I think that from a uh, a point of view of transcending the distinctions of the mind, mm -hmm. uh, one could uh, see uh, uh, the, there's a way of seeing Christian doctrine as an expression of the total truth, mm -hmm. while at the same time being able to recognize other things as the total truth. Okay. Uh, Buddhism, for instance. Sure, uh, sure, you know. sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. I have a I have a really specific question now. Um, okay. I, I, I will. I'll come back to finishing okay. the initial question that you asked, which right. I only began to touch on. Okay. But, let's. Uh, hmm. But go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm just sort of curious about the contents of the uh, the Blue Lodge degrees. You said that they're very specifically Christian. In um, some of the Scottish Rite Blue Lodge degrees that I have seen, there is an emphasis on like very uh, pagan gods who stand at, uh, some of the major stations in the lodge. You know, there's like a, I think, uh, Heracles and Aphrodite and like, uh, I can't remember all of them, but, but there's like pagan gods who sort of stand at the stations. Does that happen in these ones no. then? Interesting. Okay. Uh, hmm. I'm going to have to look more into the history of that because I'm not sure where that came from. Okay, well, I uh, let me just mention that the point that I often raise is that while the rectified Scottish Rite, uh, the degrees, were written after the Rite of Perfection, mm -hmm. uh, on which the uh, ancient and accepted Scottish Rite is based, mm -hmm. they are certainly written before uh, the, uh, the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite. The rectified Scottish Rite is prior yeah. to the okay. ancient and accepted. Yeah, Scottish that makes Rite. sense because the uh, the sort of base degrees of the accepted Scottish Rite are uh, from Pike, and he probably wrote those in the eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies. Right, right. So yeah. this is this is uh, you know between the seventeen uh, nineties and the nineteen tens. Okay, yeah, I mean eighteen tens. Yeah, I think the original um, Scottish Rite stuff that Pike was using came from like. 1794 something like that like we have we have a few different manuscripts i it's confusing <laughs> right right and and in general the uh rectified scottish rite bears very little resemblance uh to the ancient and accepted scottish rite mm -hmm. uh, uh although there is a relationship to templarism in both. Oh, okay. All right. That'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, I, I was uh that's definitely something I wanted to uh talk to, talk about a little bit further on. Uh, but okay. let me finish the structure. Yeah, exactly. So, three degrees um of a, a, a more or less corresponding to the Blue Lodge, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it is even called Blue Lodge in rectified Scottish rite, and then a fourth degree that completes the three uh, uh that is the Scottish Master of St Andrew. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is uh, sometimes called the Green Lodge. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this, from uh, uh, my research, seems to be related to the ritual that is rumored to have been what Bonnie Prince Charlie 
was given in Holyrood in Scotland to name him the head of the Scottish Order of the Templars and by implication the Grand Master of all masonry <laughs> as far as that context goes. And and yeah, okay. and so this uh, was a uh, the first time this ritual was ever uh, performed, and then later it became known as the Scottish Master of Saint Andrew. Some people uh, uh, believe there's also a relationship between that and what later became known as the Royal Arch in other rites. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, in in um, the accepted Scottish rite, we have a. Uh, Knight of St. Andrew degree, which I don't think claims to be the Scottish master degree, which is sort of looked at as different, but there mm-hmm. is a, there is a Knight of St. Andrew degree that we call the KSA. We just, it's right. Yeah. They end up, uh, people who dedicate themselves to the KSA end up doing lots of, uh, uh, dishwashing we, we need it which we need <laughs> so okay. supposedly uh at the point of the fourth degree mm-hmm. um uh you'd uh uh deserving candidates would uh be discreetly informed that there were further degrees secret degrees Ooh. uh and uh at the edge of uh, the gateway to those uh you would be uh, putting like uh, letting go of your Masonic identity and going into a chivalric identity as a squire novice of the uh, uh, Knights Beneficent of the Holy City or Chevalier oh. Bienfaisant de la Cité Santé. Uh, and uh, being a knight squire would be in preparation to becoming a full-fledged knight beneficent of the holy city. And, and this is a uh, this is even more Christian. It is contemplative. Uh, it is uh, uh, archetypally related to the Templars. But it's mm-hmm. important to note that from the very inception of the rectified Scottish Rite, uh, they said that they do not claim any lineal descendant from the Templars or any claim to the treasure or properties of the Templars, and that in general that whole thing is what well, the word we'd use for it is now is toxic uh, but they used other language for it but mm-hmm. essentially they said we want no part of that trend in Templarism and yet we have this affiliation of desire with uh, what I, I would call the archetype or the type mm-hmm. uh, of uh, the, the Templar heritage the defending the pilgrims to the holy city depend, uh, defending the pilgrims to goodness to the mystical uh, guidance uh, of the divine. Oh, oh, I really like that. Sort of looking at the holy city as a metaphor for uh, some sort of spiritual uh, attainment. Absolutely. Oh, that's way better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some select people of this, now we're at uh, sixth degree, the Knights Beneficent of the Holy City, might be discreetly informed that there was another secret degree called the Professed, uh, and they would get uh, an instruction. Mm-hmm. An instruction that, oh, just might be uh, translated and published in English for the first time in <laughs> the book that I've just published, The Rectified Scottish Rite, uh-huh. uh, that has the instruction of the professed in its whole, translated and uh, double-checked from the original manuscripts from the uh, 
uh, from the uh, museum. Uh, uh-huh. uh, that uh, is... The Museum of Lyon, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, and... Um, uh, then perhaps some of those professed might find out that there is one final secret, secret, secret degree called the grand professed and get, um, uh, some instructions, one part of which, not the entirety, but the second part, the one that's most interesting from the point of view of this book is also translated from the original, uh, uh, manuscripts, uh, in this book. And I imagine it is the grand professed who learns about the Imago Templi or is given the Imago Templi? Well, the Imago Templi is everywhere. <laughs> so it could be argued that um, every Freemason contributes or participates mm-hmm. in the Imago Templi. If you, mm-hmm. uh, if you hear temple and you're not just thinking of a thing of stone, but your soul twitches, <laughs> then yes. you hear the call of the Imago Templi. I believe that is the goal of every type of Freemasonry that I have come across. Well, there we go. With maybe the exception of very modern uh, English Freemasonry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the people who are like, want the ceremony, but are stone cold skeptics for some reason. You know, then they're not yeah. participating in the Imago Templi. I feel like American Freemasonry has found a way around that, and it tricks them into continuing to uh, participate just through the heavy emphasis on memory work. Hmm. But I've got whole, I've got theories about that, and this is not my interview. So, <laughs> <laughs> but if it, if it, uh, if the heart quickens at a certain mm-hmm. point uh, yeah. into the depths of being yeah. by whatever means, if the soul is meeting the divine, mm-hmm. then there the temple is also. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So you just outlined what was that? Eight degrees altogether. Yes. And is that the entirety of them? Yes. And an important thing to note here is that they are all written in the same scope of time. So they are an integrated matched set. It's not like, a, uh, I think, most rites where uh, uh, one degree is written at one time and another degree is written at another, and then maybe later there's an attempt to plane them uh, mm-hmm. so that they seem to fit. These, were, uh, these are um, uh, integral components of one another. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like they tell sort of a complete story. I love that thing where, like, you get to the sixth degree, and then they're like, you know what? Maybe there is a seventh. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, and it's so short. Like that's uh, that's so much more manageable. You know, the Scottish Rite being thirty-two degrees, it's great. Mm-hmm. But like, even people who've been doing it forever, you're like, what's the fourteenth degree again? And people <laughs> standing around in a circle, being like. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And all, all the more so if you're talking about Memphis Mizraim and it's, oh, you God. know, 97 yeah. to 101 degrees. Yeah. Although yeah. I've heard, uh, or at least some of the stuff that I've read, uh, says that after 33, they have degrees every 11 degrees. And all the ones in between are just sort of like, Meh. right. Va- vapor. Exist. Yeah. Yeah. Vapor, vaporware degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's, uh, that emphasis on chivalric masonry um, so soon and so um, so being such a major part of the system is really fascinating. Uh, the only chivalric degrees that I've ever really had experience with are uh, the last few in the in the the you know accepted Scottish Rite. Mm-hmm. 
which and I have no idea how to compare them to anything else. So, you know, I'm not able to take the, the York Wright um, chivalric degrees because I'm, I'm not Christian. And oh, yeah. uh, so can you talk a little bit about what a chivalric degree seems to mean? Like, I know you've covered that a little bit already, talking about sort of uh, the guardians to the, you know, holy city or of, of uh, pilgrims to the holy city. But um what is kind of like the form of a chivalric degree? Like, is there, are there, are there swords? Uh, well, sure, there are swords. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what comes up for me is that there's a, uh, an ethical code that comes up from trying to be uh, a represent or an agent of the work that God wants to see in the world uh-huh. uh, while also not becoming uh, puffed up and trying to take credit for the goodness of that oneself. So the the following the fine line of uh, ethical aspiration and uh, self-emptying mm-hmm. uh, that is required of a, uh, a warrior knight. Right, okay. The ethical code itself, does that come from, is it drawn mainly from uh, Christianity? You know, because um, the sort of, uh, you know, de-Christianized version of Freemasonry draws a lot of its ethical code from like uh, pre-Christian stuff like Aristotle or even like early Christian, um, early Christian, you know, fathers instead of, uh, instead of like a more modern Christianity. And I'm wondering like, where do you think the what are the origins of the ethical code or what does it kind of does it have like points are there specific virtues that you focus on or something of that nature well i think ultimately it's the uh silent and mysterious guidance of the divine oh. it is true though that in the earlier degrees in the uh, the first four degrees say there are um uh, things that are written down, things that are in language mm-hmm. to orient uh, the uh, initiate to the inner journey that will lead ultimately to the inner mis- mystical guidance that is to uh, be the orientation for them in the future in their uh, beneficence mm-hmm. uh, and in the work that uh, the inner order uh, calls them to do. Uh, but th- these are temporary measures uh, uh, to bring you up to that point where language is no longer uh, suitable because it's the message of your inner guidance in relation to whatever is happening at the time. So it's not anything that's repeatable. It's it's spontaneous and uh, innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's a, there's a much heavier emphasis on mysticism than there is in... Um the more mainstream American Freemasonry. That's that's kind of It's completely mystical, or yeah. if it's not yet mystical, it is laying the groundworks for mysticism. Um, so from a, and, and this is uh, this is how it's being practiced currently, like modern in the modern form. 
Well, again, I think that it's it uh, comes out in different manifestations depending on the traditions. Mm-hmm. I think that there are some, I, 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 as I hear people talk about it uh, in European contexts, uh, there are some places where, well, this is very um, mundane the way this particular lineage practices it. Oh. Um, uh, they uh, go through the scripts, the, but do they really understand them? Mm-hmm. And then there are some, wow, they are very mystical. And then there are uh, concerns from other Masons, like, are these people Masons or are they wizards? Are they sorcerers? <laughs> um, Why not both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Um, uh, so it's uh, very much a uh, its own kind of thing, its own kind of tr- tradition. Uh, some of them, and I think that it's particularly the l- leg- the heritage of Martinez de Pasquale mm-hmm. uh, that uh, for some traditions Pasquale is just a distraction. Uh, or I, the, I guess they say, I, I've always said Pasquale, but I think in Europe they always say Martinez. Martinez is just a distraction. Hmm. Whereas from the point of view of this book, uh, uh, that uh, it's essentially Martinezist. Uh, that, uh, all, say, say that one again. Martinezist. <laughs> Which is not Martinist. <laughs> uh, it's related, Yeah, you know, but it's, it's not exactly this. And uh, th- that uh, you have to be able to appreciate the foundations of it the Martinizist foundations of it to understand the rectified Scottish Rite and certainly to be able to appreciate what's going on with the professed and the grand professed, uh, those instructions are explicitly, um, well, I shouldn't say explicitly, but it's, it's overtly would be a better mm-hmm. way of saying it, okay. uh, ways of introducing mm-hmm. Martinizist doctrine into a uh, Masonic context. Can you maybe... Give us uh, the 101 on Martinez de Pasquale. Like that, it's it's a it's a name that is brought up all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, those who aren't uh, really familiar with sort of like the history of uh, this particular branch of mysticism, uh, it's one of those names that from the outside you see it all the time, but you don't really know what it's about. Kind of like this is a horrible comparison, but sort of like if you knew nothing about the OTO and you, you'd hear the name Alistair Crowley, but you'd be like, I don't know what he's about. So can you give us a little bit of the, the 101? Like, who was this dude? Right. Well, the first thing that always comes up for me is uh, the concept of crazy wisdom, which is uh-huh. something you especially hear about in Tibetan Buddhism, but that there are certain spiritual masters who are more committed to transmitting the truth as um, they understand it than uh, following social convention. Uh, Chongyang Trungpa, uh, back in the 60s and early 70s, uh, was someone who uh, was outrageous in so many ways, and yet he was considered to be uh, an, an avatar. Mullah Nasruddin from the traditional um, Sufi stories. Ooh, I've, it, got some, I've got some uh, Nasruddin stories. Well, excellent. <laughs> so you know that he's completely defying expectation, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, always communicating something of profound wisdom. And Martinez de Pasquale strikes me as very much this kind of person. Uh, his writings are difficult to understand, although they're in French. French is not his first language. It's not really known what his first language was. Maybe he didn't have a first language. Maybe every <laughs> language was his second language. Um, and he appeared in the uh, early uh, to mid-1700s. 
uh, I shouldn't say early, but mid 1700s with a patent to uh, hold a form of Freemasonry that was largely magical, largely theurgic. Uh, and he claimed that he was transmitted it exactly as he learned it from his father, but it is so unlike anything else. And the uh, Masonic group that he founded was called the Knights Masons Elu Cohen of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, my interpretation of it, and there are people who are doing Elu Cohen reconstructionist work who have very specific uh, interpretations of what's going on, and there may not be complete agreement with my spin on it, mm-hmm. but it is in a way a way of ceremonially reproducing the history of the Jewish people in a visionary sense uh, within one's own being and through uh, uh, an initiatory sequence. Uh, And part of that at a certain point involves uh, banishing uh, specific negative spirits, uh, exorcisms, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And at a certain point, invoking specific positive spirits to aid you in your work, ultimately leading to an ultimate degree of the Rue Qua, not the the Rose Qua, but the Rue, which in itself is it's not a normal French word, old French, mm-hmm. uh, kind of meaning rose, kind of meaning uh, royal, hmm. uh, a kind of meaning uh, a shade of red, something like scarlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was to those people he addressed the one writing uh, that we have of his, the Treatise on the Reintegration of Beings, that uh, was dictated to San Martin, Louis-Claude de San Martin, who was his secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they eventually got it to the point where it was something that could be distributed, even though it was never completely finished. Um, and But th- this work of the Elu Cohen uh, involved a massive amount of theurgic work. And uh, his uh, secretary and uh, most advanced student, San Martin, at a certain point decided that there must be uh, a way of uh, bringing initiates to the fruition of their quest without the burden of all of this theurgy and started teaching from a more contemplative point of view, more uh, closely related to pietism. Mm -hmm. And then he discovered the works of uh, Jakob Böhme. And uh, so Martinism then became a synthesis of Martinus de Pasquale and Jakob Böhme. Uh, and that uh, was the, the the later teachings of San Martin and became the uh, the beginnings of the Martinism that we know today. Huh. The other uh, chief uh, student of uh, Pasquale, uh, Martinus de Pasquale, was Jean-Baptiste Willermoz, who was a friend and colleague of San Martin as well. Uh, and he was... Uh, very uh, committed to uh, Freemasonry in a lot of different forms. And at a certain point, he uh, became acquainted with the uh, Templar Strict Observance. Ah, out of uh, Germany? Yeah. And he was the one to bring that into France. And then as they reformed it, that is what became the rectified Scottish Rite. As they reformed it for French sensibilities, he brought in really? the, the doctrines of Martinus de Pasquale to create the rectified Scottish Rite, which is kind of ironic because part, as I understand it, part of the thrust 
of, of the strict observance was to move Freemasonry away from magical influences and other things that were peripheral to Freemasonry. And so mm. they bring it into France, and then uh, in the later versions of it, uh, uh, specifically r add uh, aspects of the theurgy of the Elu Cohen into the inner degrees of the rectified Scottish Rite. Huh. That's, uh, I love, uh, uh, this is a part of uh, Masonic history that I really, really love because, mm. um, uh, well, first of all, uh, for those of you who are listening, there wasn't really like a Germany at the time. There mm. was, uh, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, and it was just a ridiculous political mess. Tons and tons of tiny little principalities and, you know, city-states and republics and theocracies and, you know, duchies and kingdoms, like all squished together in a way that didn't really work. You know, if you're familiar at all with Freemasonry, you know that a lot of times Masonic organizations like Grand Lodges in particular, like follow uh, political boundaries. Mm -hmm. And in the Holy Roman Empire, that didn't work very well. So there were lots and lots of uh, uh, Grand Lodges and rites and things sort of like vying for control of German Freemasonry. And um, at the end of the 1700s, there, you know, the three big ones were the strict observance, Golden, I think they're usually called the Golden Rosicrucians, but they have like some fancier, longer name, and the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all of them uh, kind of collapsed around the same time. Like they all just sort of screwed up and just ruined things for each other kind of right around the same time, like in the 1790s, and they all just sort of vanished. Um, and in the manifestation, how it manifested in France was mm -hmm. uh, the rectified Scottish Rite became the uh, mainstream high-degree Freemasonry for France. For all of it? Yeah. Oh, I just thought France was already pretty segmented at the time, too, but maybe not. That's I mean, it's not saying that um, there weren't other degrees, mm -hmm. but the dominant one for um, uh, upper degree, mason, high degree masonry was the rectified Scottish Rite. And oh. in some ways, it continues to be. Huh. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I, I, just to finish the thread about Pasquale, yeah, Martin yeah. Mr. Pasquale, um, that... Uh, uh, before the rectified Scottish Rite uh, was being composed, uh, Martinez de Pasquale uh, inherited some land uh, in Haiti or, or Santo Domingo, anyway, the, the West Indies, mm -hmm. and he went to take care of it. And he died under mysterious circumstances. And, uh, or I shouldn't, uh, we never, we don't understand. We, there's no record of exactly how it was that he died. That's mysterious but... circumstances for sure. Conspiracy <laughs> theorists, take note. <laughs> uh, and uh, although at that point, the Elu Cohen were gathering steam. Uh, once he was gone, it started puttering out pretty mm -hmm. rapidly. Uh, and so then the heritage of the Martinezist doctrine had to go through uh, Louis-Claude de Saint-Martin and Jean-Baptiste Willermose. Hmm. Yeah, okay. That's cool. Um... At this point, Michael and I had to take an impromptu break and decided to have a second bowl of kava. Oh yeah, all right. Would you like to explain the kava ritual to our listeners? Oh sure. Um, this is people in different parts of the Pacific uh, consume kava differently. As I understand it, this is uh, one of the ways that they do it in Vanuatu, uh, and uh, it involves clapping once to invite in the spirits of the ancestors, chugging the kava, and then clapping twice to dispel any negative spirits. Let's do it. All right. Ooh. 
Uh, ah, so the flavor, the flavor of kava. Yes. Oh. Mm. Intoxicating mud. Mm. It's a great thing. Um, one of the great things about it, though, is that, like, we have a little piece of pineapple straight after. Mm-hmm. The pineapple tastes so unsweet. Like, it's countering the bitter weirdness of the kava mud, uh, <laughs> and it sort of expels, expends all of its sweetness on that. But It's true. That's it does true. a good job. And I... then, yeah. Uh, okay. So, where were we? We were in uh, around uh, 1790s. Isn't that when De Pasquale came to the Caribbean? Uh, when exactly? Uh, it's... Uh... Probably before the 1790s, but after the 1760s. Do I mm-hmm. have the exact date on me? No, I don't. Okay. But it's in there. Yeah, that was also around the time that uh, the early manuscripts of what became the accepted Scottish Rite, uh, or, or the, the sort of ancestors of it, the degrees that ended up being developed, uh, started cropping up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, actually... Uh, what we call the Franken manuscripts, which mm-hmm. which became the accepted Scottish Rite eventually, or, yeah. uh, came from the Caribbean. Oh, okay, yeah, I think I've heard that too. Yeah, so there there could be. I'm sure there's probably people who try to make that connection between Pasquale and the accepted Scottish Rite, but doesn't sound like it's even close to the same sort of degree structure. Right. No. No. I. Uh, but there is that sense that uh, there is a uh, more. Uh, authentic form of Freemasonry other than what those accursed English people are doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, you were talking about that earlier, too. You were you were calling English Freemasonry Hanoverian. Hano, Hanoverian. Hanoverian Freemasonry. Um, because there is this particular quality to uh, English culture after uh, uh, George I right. uh, comes in place. Right. Uh, uh, Old forms of piety uh, are out. Science is in the mm-hmm. Royal Society, Newtonian physics, and trade, commerce, mm-hmm. um, and the new is in. Right. And uh, the, the Freemasonry that... Uh, oh, but the, the other important part about that is that the Hanoverians are not stewards. That's true. <laughs> uh, and so there is a... A uh, strong connection uh, between the origins of Freemasonry and the House of Stuart, mm-hmm. uh, and it was important to create a new history for Freemasonry uh, that distanced it from the Stuarts. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is w- what happens with uh, the uh, Anderson's Anderson's Constitutions, yeah, yeah. seventeen twenty three. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, this is the um, uh, beginning of what I'm calling Hanoverian Freemasonry, uh, where y- you can be mystical, but it's not um, uh, required. You can be religious, but it's not required. You can be interested in trade. You can be interested in progress. You can be interested in science. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the new hotness. Yeah, I mean the. Re- Religion, it, it was still very religious. Like, by our standards. Yeah, by our standards. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that's something that um, 
you know, continental Freemasonry, that's funny, from from the uh, side of what you're calling Hanoverian Freemasonry, a lot of times we refer to it as uh, English Freemasonry or British Freemasonry and continental Freemasonry. Sure. Uh, and continental Freemasonry, when, when looked at from the outside, is also split up into, like, uh, conservative and liberal branches, right? So there are, and this sounds like um, actually kind of more of a conservative branch because of the way that it sort of um, uh, centers religion so strongly. Because yes. there's a lot of modern Freemasonry, or not even modern, not even modern, like as old as this stuff, coming out of the continent that uh, focuses on um, freedom of conscience or uh, and doesn't require any sort of religious stuff, uh, some of which just strips it out entirely. And it's like they have a blank book on the altar and they're like, we, who cares if you've got religion? Just come and be a Mason. But what's forgotten is that before the French Revolution, mm -hmm. uh, there was a reaction to uh, to the Enlightenment in the skeptical, free-thinking sense mm -hmm. uh, that in some places manifested itself as a retreat to hardcore tradition and Catholicism, like insisting that Catholicism has to defeat everything else. Right. But there was also freaky, wild experimentation going on with uh, the mesmerists uh, and all the, yeah. uh, all the crazy things that were going on exploring mm -hmm. consciousness uh, and the Swedenborgians, the, mm -hmm. uh, uh, seeing what was going on in the spirit world and how those uh, interacted in various crazy ways like the Illuminates of Avignon that went completely bonkers and uh, uh, sort of immolated themselves in a uh, uh, stew of extremism. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, part you do of, what you gotta. <laughs> right. And certainly Martinez de Pasquale is a part of that whole, and the and the Martinezism is one facet of that whole thing, a very important part of what uh, in France became known as Illuminism. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, that, I think that's a, a good way of thinking of it, that Martinezism, Martinism, and the rectified Scottish Rite are all uh, manifestations of Illuminism. And this is conservative in the sense that it's reacting against the free thinking of people like Voltaire, uh, but it's radical in the sense that uh, they're daring to uh, delve into mysticism uh, in a very brave way, in a way that uh, more conventional religious people uh, would avoid or even consider heretical. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense you know a lot of times when we learn about uh you know sort of like enlightenment era philosophy uh we're sort of told that the counter enlightenment is uh romanticism mm -hmm. and that has always seemed to be very uh narrow given the stuff that was going on like the the amount of theurgy and you know magical work and and I guess we should probably also remember that most of the magic in Europe at the time was super christian <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And this is uh, the rectified Scottish Rite is absolutely a part of that whole movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I hope that uh, uh, some French Masons listen to this and <laughs> um, have some input into some of the rectified Scottish Rite stuff that's going on, you know, in their lodges today. That would be really, really interesting to hear from some of them. So if you're out there, French Masons. <laughs> Send me an email. <laughs> I should possibly uh, recommend a uh, conversation that I had with Jose, uh, Jose Anes 
and this is uh, something that we did on the Saperi Aude uh, Masonic YouTube channel mm -hmm. uh, that also in promotion of this book, uh, we presented to uh, that group. And uh, uh, Jose Anes is the past grand prior of the Lusitanian uh, rectified Scottish Rite. Huh. Uh, and he had a lot of very interesting things to say about the tradition, about this book. He's a friend of the author, Remy Boyer. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I gave a, an outline of the book also, but I thought to hear firsthand from him and uh, how deeply it has impressed him and moved him over the course of his life. Um, that was some uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful information to take on. Okay. I will have a link to that in the show notes. Um, so that when our listeners are done listening to us, right. They can go check that out. I should mention that Jose Anes also writes one of the prefaces in, uh, the, our current book, the rectified Scottish Rite, from okay. the doctrine of reintegration to the Imago temple. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right well let's uh let's talk uh, okay so uh the doctrine of reintegration yes uh what does that mean mean necessarily it, it sounds to me like a theurgic practice uh in the context of the alukoan it absolutely mm -hmm. was okay uh and this could be something to investigate over the course of a lifetime and I'm, I've been investigating it for, oh, five, six years now. So bear with me. I will have a different opinion about this a year from now. Okay. But uh, one can picture the treatise on reintegration of, of Martinez de Pasquale as being a synthesis of uh, the hermetic great man and the... Uh, Kabbalistic Adam Kadman, uh, that is the prior identity of all humanity that through, well, something happened and mm -hmm. we now find ourselves in the multiplicity, uh, and sometimes suffering, uh, that is, uh, the, the human condition mm -hmm. and that the, uh, the course of personal development, the, uh, the course of development on self has to do with recognizing the fragmentation that is our lot and coming back to that unity that is our primordial state, recognizing it even in the midst of our relative multifaceted lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and this can be done through theurgy. If you're a Martinist, it can be done through uh, contemplation and reflection uh, of the heart. And if you're a member of the rectified Scottish Rite, it can be done through uh, beneficence, or so says this book. Hmm. That's a tough one to synthesize, too. <laughs> well, I often use the word anthropos. Anthropos. Yeah. yeah. So we have the great man. Right, right. But it, 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 it's, it's helpful because anthropos isn't gender specific. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's sort of the, uh, the capital M man from the Corpus Hermeticum, where you sort of have this, uh, you know, you have like the divine and then man and nature and that sort of stuff. And one of our, one of the things that the Hermeticist is supposed to do is 
yeah, I guess reintegrate with that. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Uh, the Imago template itself, then, what role does it necessarily play in the reintegration? Does is, is the Imago template a then sort of a stand-in for the great man slash Adam Cadman, or is it something more? Wherever we as entities encounter the divine mm-hmm. is the temple. The temple is the meeting place. Uh, and that happens when we find ourselves as whatever. Do we find ourselves as our everyday person? Do we find ourselves as someone in a great state of loss and deprivation? Uh, do we find ourselves as a elevated, out-of-the-body, luminous uh, being in a, in a rare con- contemplative state? Mm-hmm. But in any of those cases, we can encounter the divine. And at that moment, that is the temple. Uh, and uh, the role that that plays in our life is the image of the temple and that is a motivating force for us individually and collectively when we consider uh the thrust of the uh the history of the jewish people mm-hmm. they're they're motivated by the imago templi when we think about the crusades they're motivated by the imago templi when we think about the uh teachings of swedenborg who felt that the uh age of the holy spirit was beginning with the infusion of these teachings from the celestial beings mm-hmm. to uh, uh to himself uh that is the imago templi or the uh new jerusalem the nova hierosulima as uh swedenborg would say uh the the Ooh. the uh the Arthurian mythos, the Grail mythos, right. that is the Imago Templi, the Parseval of uh, of Chrétien de Troy, of uh, uh, von Eschenbach, Wolf, mm-hmm. Wolfram von Eschenbach, and even of Wagner. Mm-hmm. There is that Imago Templi, uh, and I, I want to particularly point out uh, the original essay by Henry Corbin called the uh, Imago Templi in Confrontation with Secular Norms, which can be found in the collection Temple and Contemplation, uh, which uh, is, I believe, where Imago Templi was coined. And certainly the writer of this book uh, is intimately familiar with Henry Corbin. Mm -hmm. And it's just the best essay. So I always take a moment to recommend to people to find that essay and to read it. It gives a perspective on the whole course of the Western soul uh, that is unlike anything you can find anywhere else. Uh, and then it turns out, after I was so motivated years ago from reading uh, this essay, mm-hmm. that uh, Henry Corbin was an initiate of the Rectified Scottish Rite. Oh, and funny. it is very likely that the, it's no coincidence. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it also makes me think of, uh, you know, the, I mean, there's definitely an image of the temple in um uh, English Freemasonry, or at least in American Freemasonry. I don't know how much it's maintained in modern English Freemasonry. Uh, but it also made me think of like the, uh, the crystal palaces of, uh, Teresa of Avila. Is that her name? Who wrote, uh, 
who who had these like images, these these mystical images of visiting the divine in these crystal palaces that are just like beautifully described. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she's like 13th or 14th century. That but that's really interesting reading too. Um, yeah, that that metaphor of uh, a building as um, a divine meeting place is is strangely prevalent across uh, Western mysticism. Like it's just it seems to crop up everywhere and i think it's it's i think it's also where uh most of our sacred geometry fascination comes from you know i mean the geometers were the builders like it yeah that's fascinating absolutely so it's a common thread it Um, is yeah yeah. that's really cool so about the book yes uh, it's uh divided into three large sections uh, the first one is about what the Martinezist doctrine can say, and it's an introduction to the doctrines of uh, Martinez de Pasquale to the extent that they are helpful in understanding the rectified Scottish Rite, mm-hmm. uh, and they are. It's baffling in a way there is a uh, a sense uh, in how the doctrines are constructed. Uh, that defies the linear intellect. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, with time, if you can hold on to uh, these baffling assertions and tenets and stories without uh, foreclosing, without, without uh, uh, laying judgment on them, it isn't long before they open up into uh, a profundity uh, where you can start to see how they invited so many people into a quest of inner development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second part is how the Martinezist doctrine unites with the rituals of the rectified Scottish Rite in the Solomonic tradition, but then merging that with a Martinezist uh, uh, direction. Uh, to be a more specific guidance as the operations of the rituals are carried out. Mm-hmm. And in this, it gets into a number of details. I think it would probably be especially helpful for people who have been through the rectified Scottish Rite, although I wouldn't know myself, or who have read the rituals, but at least of people, of, of Freemasons, or people who have worked with uh solomon's temple oriented ceremonies mm-hmm. could uh see how the two the martinezist uh legacy and the solomonic legacy combine uh and then finally the uh rectified scottish rite as a way of awakening a sort of calling back to the titles of those earlier books uh how the instructions of the professed and the grand professed can lead to uh, the fruition of reintegration. Mm -hmm. And in this part of the book, uh, we did these translations of the instructions and have published them. Uh, I think that there have been unpublished English translations that have passed through the grapevine Mm -hmm. uh, for a long time. But this is the first time uh, that they are published, as far as I know. Um, They've been published in French for a long time, so we're not really giving away anything. Uh, But uh, it's an opportunity 
opportunity to see how the Martinezist doctrine is introduced in a Solomonic setting. Hmm. Uh, and I think that the writing is both profound and surprisingly clear and succinct by the standards of um, uh, 18th century, 19th century writing. That's a good uh, caveat to add on to the end. <laughs> yes, it's not um, haiku. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So then uh, do, how do you think that the uh, professed and grand professed, like the that text has um, something to offer those who have not been initiated into the rectified Scottish right? I mean, you seem very moved by them, so I'm going to assume your answer is yes, but let, can you maybe explain a little bit why? Like, how how are you um, integrating these uh, works into your life, even though you have not received the degrees? Well, I am very moved by the works of Saint Martin, mm -hmm. uh, and I dwell on his uh, writing and his orientation. Mm -hmm. And from that, uh, that leads me to uh, interest in Martinez de Pasquale and also in these uh, teachings of the rectified Scottish Rite. They show facets of uh, the worldview that San Martin is expounding. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all mysterious. It requires uh, patience to be able to uh, open to these things. So all these different facets are very helpful. Uh, and with enough patience and with a study, uh, it's possible to see that this isn't random. This is actually uh, planting the seeds of an understanding of a certain kind of gnosis, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is not, I'm sure it uh, would be very helpful to have these initiations to be able to appreciate these instructions in the context uh, in which they were originally intended. But I think in other initiatory, if you have other initiatory uh, uh, experience uh, that is sufficiently resonant uh, mm -hmm. with these works, they can also be very helpful. Uh, and to be able to you know, they're like mirrors uh, that enable you to see angles of the deep self mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be able to obtain uh, any other way. And the I think the natural response to that is just immense gratitude. I like that a lot. Uh, all right, let's talk uh, about where people can find the book. Um, is it available on Amazon and all of Sure, it's available okay. on Amazon uh, across the world. If you go to, if you're not such a fan of contributing to uh, Amazon's hegemony, uh, if you go to waysofawakening.com, um, uh, we now are working through, um, I think it's bookshop.org. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can get it through a local independent bookshop and uh, part of the proceeds go to supporting independent bookshops. Mm -hmm. You can do it that way. Also, they're distributed through Ingram, which is one of the largest uh, book distributors in the world. So most bookstores uh, where you order books at all, whether directly through Ingram or whatever uh 
uh, ordering company they use, a warehousing uh, 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 services they use, directly or indirectly use Ingram. Mm -hmm. So you can just say, I want this book, uh, and um, you can order it there. And that's Perfect. whether you're in the United States or internationally. I, I deliberately chose Ingram as a distributor because uh, it is uh, possible to uh, uh, for... Uh, uh, an independent bookstore to get it and mm -hmm. to sell it uh, at a decent, uh, at a, a standard markup. Uh, so, uh, you know, we don't accept returns. So uh, depending on the bookstore, they may or may not want to get a bunch of them to put on the shelf, but you can certainly special order it. I've heard that you do accept returns, but that the return counter is in the Imago, Imago template, so you have to get there first. <laughs> Let's say. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, in closing, I would like to say that, uh, so that was our second bowl of kava, and yes. it totally... I feel way more spacey. Like yeah. you, you caught me a couple of times. I know at one point you're like, about the book. I'm like, okay, okay, right. where's my brain? <laughs> um, but, uh, but thank you so much. This is, um, it's such a fascinating journey that you have uh, been on with these books. And I just really enjoy hearing you talk about them. I mean, primarily because this is like an area of Freemasonry that I, uh, will never have the opportunity to explore. Hmm. Um, and it's just really lovely to learn that there are like these other facets of it and these other uh, traditions that are sort of emerging out of it. I do not think that I ever realized when I became a Freemason 20 blah, blah years ago uh, how diverse it was. And it is uh, vastly, strangely diverse, like uh, just crazy. Even in, you know, in the United States, uh, you know, mainstream Freemasonry is the one that everybody knows about where it's, you know, mostly like uh, old guys complaining about their pancreases and and talking about, you know, replacing the roof on the building or whatever. But even inside, you know, mainstream Freemasonry, there's a lot of diversity. And you take one step outside and it is just a crazy amount. There's just so much out there. Uh, it kind of makes it so that I'm not really sure that there's a really good definition of Freemasonry. Uh, should we call it like an initiatory system centered around Solomonic imagery? Like, is that the only thing that they all have in common? It's sort of, I know it when I see it. I yeah. Yeah. I can't define it. It's basically like vulgarity, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. I really have enjoyed this. And, um, I look forward to you translating another book so that we can do this again. Yeah. yeah. Next year. <laughs> I expect. This has been another episode of the Arnamancy podcast. Thank you for joining me. I have been your host, Reverend Eric. You can find Arnamancy online at arnamancy.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting the Arnamancy Project for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Vanessa Irena, and I'm really excited to announce my new store, Sword and Scythe, where I'll be offering magical art, materia, and services beneath Mars and Saturn. You can visit the store at swordandscythe.com and be sure to sign up for the email list to receive early access to new releases.